Please turn your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. This is the second letter of the Apostle Peter. Today we conclude a series uh, we've been calling Core Convictions. Uh, researchers say that people are defined by their convictions, which fall into three categories. Public convictions, which are what I say I believe, private convictions, uh, which is what I think I believe, and core convictions, which are what I really believe. Who I am comes down to my core convictions. What I say I believe or what I think I believe really doesn't matter. What guides me in this life and guides me into the next life is what I really believe. God has core convictions too. In Scripture, God reveals His core convictions. This God does in the words of the Apostle Peter, who writes this in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? In these words, Peter supplies five truths that, when they are really believed, culminate in a core conviction. That is God's core conviction. So, let's study these five truths that lead us to this all-important core conviction. The first truth is that the world is temporary by design. Uh, we see this in Second Peter 3, starting in uh, verse 10. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Peter explains that God created the world with a definite beginning, and he will conclude this world with a definite ending. Just like God created the world with a word, God will say the word and the world will come to an end. That the universe is temporary is a truth that science has confirmed uh, a long time ago, actually. Uh, you have probably heard of the uh, second law of thermodynamics. In short, uh, this principle states that the quantity of usable energy in the universe is going down. Uh, the universe is winding down, and that is a scientific fact. 
Uh, the universe is just like my body. Uh, both are winding down with age. Uh, a while back, I read an article uh, that explained that without medical intervention, uh, human life expectancy in the wild is 35 years. Uh, so if you are over 35, it explains why your body looks the way it does. It's kind of an affront to nature. Uh, and it's true. Every time I see the doctor or the dentist or the optometrist, I'm made aware that my body is falling apart. And if it wasn't for extreme medical measures, uh, I'd be wandering around blind and toothless and with my left or right blinker on all the time. So uh, my body is telling a story. It's a sad story of disintegration. Uh, it's telling the story that my life had a definite beginning and my life will have a definite ending. And science confirm, confirms that the whole world, the whole world is telling this same story. And Peter puts it in very dramatic terms. He says that everything in this world is going to burn. God made this world a beautiful work of art. But when God is finished with it, it goes on the bonfire. Uh, this whole planet goes on the fire. And this truth should make us think twice about the things that we run after in this world. The material stuff that we chase after is so temporary in the scope of eternity. The stuff that seems so important to us now will go up in smoke. Material stuff is just kindling. It's going to burn. If you invest in cars and houses, degrees, achievements, you are investing in the very short term because soon you will lose them in death or you're going to watch them burn. The question is, do you really believe this? If you really believe this truth, it will lead to a core conviction. Truth number two from the Apostle Peter. Truth number two is only souls survive the transition to the next world. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everything we see in this world is going away. Everything will disappear except, except for one thing, souls. Only one thing will survive the transition from this temporary world to the eternal world. The only thing that survives is the human soul. And you might say, well, wait a minute. Uh, based on verse 9, it sounds like uh, some souls are not eternal uh, because souls without God are going to perish. Well, here's where it is helpful for us to think about what it means to perish. Uh, perish does not mean disappear. If you take perishables out of your refrigerator and put them on the kitchen counter, these things do not disappear. Uh, they will go bad, they will turn sour, uh, they will fall apart, but they will not disappear. Because that's not what perishing means. Perishing refers to a process through which something good and useful becomes rotten and useless. And Peter says that this is what happens on an eternal level to souls without Jesus. The Bible teaches that those who leave this world without faith in Jesus fall into a permanent separation from God 
in a state of useless despair that Scripture calls perishing or the second death or eternal death. Eternal death conveys the paradox, doesn't it? Uh, conveys the paradox that souls do not die because they are eternal, but lost souls don't really live either. Those who leave this world without Jesus do not experience eternal life. They experience eternal death, which is being separated from everything good and everything joy-giving by being separated from God, who is the source of these things. Now, of course, for the child of God, uh, it is the opposite. They do not perish. Those who follow Christ spend eternity with God, perfectly happy because he is the source of everything good and everything life-giving. So Peter's first truth is that this world is temporary. And Peter's second truth is that in this temporary world, one thing and only one thing is eternal. And that is the human soul. The most important thing in this life is the only thing that survives the transition to the next life. And that is souls. The question is, do you really believe this? If you really believe this truth, it will lead to a core conviction. Now, Peter's third truth. Peter's third truth is that each soul's eternal destiny is determined here on earth. That's uh, in verse 9 too. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter summarizes this truth in one word. It's the word patient. The word patient uh, uh, conveys the truth that uh, in his patience, God gives each human being a lifetime, a lifetime to settle the most important question that determines his or her eternal destiny. But this question must be settled here on earth. This life is the only opportunity. In verse 7, Peter refers to the day of judgment. Uh, The day of judgment is described in what is almost the last chapter in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 20, uh, we're told that after life on earth, every soul will appear before God. And based on our works, every soul will be judged as unfit for heaven, for eternal life. Based on our behavior... Not one of us is good enough for heaven. But thankfully, that is not the end of the story. After every soul is judged as unworthy, a book is opened. And the book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. And those whose names are in the book are welcomed, are welcomed by God into his presence for all eternity. Now, how do you get your name in that book? There's only one way. If at some point during your brief life on earth, you put your trust in Jesus and followed him, you are saved by the Lamb of God and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But if you never come to faith in Jesus in this life, it is too late. Revelation chapter 20 states that you've missed your one and only opportunity for heaven. There are no second chances. There are no appeals. There are no do-overs. And this is not my idea. 
This is the central message of Jesus in the Bible. If you are not sure of where you stand in relation to Jesus, by all means, act on this truth today. If you don't, you don't know really how long you've got, you don't know if maybe God's patience with you is about to end. This is something you must not put off. Today, you need to receive God's forgiveness through personal belief in what Jesus did for you on the cross. Because this life on earth is your only chance for eternal life in heaven. And this truth is what puts the urgency in Jesus' message. This is the truth uh, that motivated Peter, uh, the author of this letter. He was willing to be ridiculed and jailed and beaten up and tortured and eventually executed because of his unrelenting passion and belief in this truth that there's only one opportunity for eternal destiny to be determined, and that's here on earth. The question is, do you really believe this? If you really believe this truth, it will lead to a core conviction. Now, Peter's fourth truth. Uh, the fourth truth is that God is passionate about each soul. Uh, again, verse 9. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God does not want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come home to him. How passionate is God about souls? There is nothing more important to God than the souls he loves. To this point, in Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus says that God is like a shepherd who lost a lamb. And then God goes on a search for that one lamb. And then in verse 5 of Luke 15, uh, Jesus says that when the shepherd finds this lost lamb, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls all his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost lamb. And then Jesus concludes the lesson by saying, I tell you that in the same way, there is rejoicing in heaven heaven when one soul repents and comes home to God. And then a few verses later, Jesus tells a story about how God is a father with a rebellious son who wanders off uh, and squanders in his, in his inheritance and falls into poverty and starvation. With nowhere left to go, he turns home. And Jesus says God is a father who at every moment looks passionately toward the horizon such that while his son is still a long way away, the father goes and runs out to that child, embraces that child with love and forgiveness, and that God is a father who, when his child returns, throws a huge party out of joy. And through this story, Jesus is teaching that God has such passion for souls that nothing makes God happier or more pleased than to just even have one of his lost children return to him. The Apostle Paul teaches this same truth when he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
The word for pleases, God is pleased, is a Greek word, apodekamai, and was used in the ancient world for applause. And so God uh, reveals through the Apostle Paul that he is so passionate about souls that when a person turns to Jesus and receives forgiveness, it makes God so happy, he wants to get up and cheer. He gets up and he just wants to applaud and hoot and holler and smile and laugh with joy. And knowing how much it pleases God for one soul to come home, Paul was willing to spill his blood to tell people about Jesus. The question is, do you really believe this? If you really believe this truth, it will lead to a core conviction. And now Peter's final truth. Truth number five. My God-given purpose is to reach souls. See that in verse 11? Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people... Ought you to be? What a great question. In light of the first four truths, what kind of person should I be? In light of the truth that this world is temporary and that from this world only souls survive and that each soul's destiny is determined on earth for all eternity and that God is passionate about each soul based on this What kind of person should I be? The answer is that God demands that I be the kind of person who has the same kind of passion for souls that he has. Whenever Jesus calls a person to follow him, it is always a call to be passionate about reaching souls. Do you remember how Jesus called Peter, the author of this letter? Peter was a fisherman, and while Peter was cleaning his nets, Jesus said, Peter, follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of souls. Jesus never calls a person for that person's benefit alone. If you are a Christ follower, Jesus did not save you so that you could sit around and enjoy being saved. No, Jesus calls you and gives you a purpose. And that purpose is all about souls. God demands that you have the same passion for souls that he has. How much passion does he have? Jesus showed God's passion by being willing to be whipped and stabbed and nailed to wood. Should you care about people's physical needs as well as their spiritual needs? Yes, just like Jesus cared about physical needs too. But just remember that even though Jesus uh, touched people to heal their bodies, even though he broke bread to feed their hunger, saving bodies was not why Jesus came. Jesus came to die for souls. So as his follower, Jesus calls me to feed the hungry and bring healing to the sick, but he demands above all that I share Passion for the souls that he died for. The question is, do I really believe this? If I really believe these five truths, it will lead me to the conviction that it's all about souls. 
And this core conviction will impact me in dramatic ways in my life. When I have this core conviction, it changes the way I see people in my life. It changes how I see my neighbor who is unchurched, my co-worker who is far from God. I see a soul God loves, and I see the stakes, how that eternal soul is hanging in the balance. And when I see this, it moves me out of apathy and motivates me to pray and to find simple ways to bridge conversation about the love of God with the people in my life. When you have this core conviction, it impacts the way you want to spend your money. It impacts how much you want to invest in reaching souls and how little you want to invest in stuff that will burn. When you have this core conviction, it changes your view of yourself. It changes your goals in life. It changes your view of what constitutes success for your life. It impacts you in what you're willing to endure to ensure that your life really counts for eternity. And I'm speaking to some now, uh, and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, but you don't have much direction in your life. Uh, And you justify your coasting, unmotivated lifestyle by saying, I'm waiting for God to show me what his will is for my life. If you're waiting for God to tell you uh, what you should devote your life to, let me be the one to make it simple for you. It's all about souls. Don't sit around waiting for God to tell you what to be passionate about because he has already told you. It's souls. God's will for you is souls. God's work for you is souls. God's purpose for you is to passionately devote yourself to the only thing in this world that is eternal. Only one thing will survive the transition to eternity. And it's not cars, it's not houses, it's not possessions, it's not careers or status. The only thing that will survive the transition from this world to the next are the eternal souls of people. And this is God's work for you. God's will, God's call, God's purpose for you is to please Him. And nothing pleases God more than when you allow His Holy Spirit to use you and your prayers and your words and your love-reaching hands to help someone else, just like you were helped, to come to faith in Jesus. Jesus issues this call. Uh, in his last words to his followers in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So Jesus tells us that this is what I want you to be about. I want you to be about reaching souls and teaching souls. Reaching souls and teaching souls. This is what you're to be about as my followers, and this is what you are to be about as my church, Jesus says. 
The purpose of BlackRock is not to provide social contacts or fellowship dinners. We exist as a church to reach souls and teach souls. Many churches say they believe this. Many churches think they believe this. At BlackRock, this is what we really believe. And because this is our core conviction, we really see God moving in dramatic ways. Last week, we baptized over 50 people here at Black Rock. Before each baptism, a short story was uh, read of that person's journey to Jesus. And uh, let me just share a few lines uh, from the, some of the stories that were read before these baptisms. Amparo said, I first found out about Black Rock Church through Summer Adventure, Black Rock's summer camp for kids. I am a single parent and I was in need of a day camp for my daughter. After several weeks of coming in to drop off and pick up my daughter, a certain curiosity struck me. I did not know what it was. Now I know that it was God who was calling me. I decided to attend a service on Sunday morning, and I have not stopped coming since. In September, I accepted Christ as my Savior. My faith in Jesus has given me a strength and a peace that can only come from God, especially during the trying times in my life. And now I want to share with others what Jesus has done in my heart. Truman said, on September 12th, all alone in my, apartment, in my apartment, I had given up, decided to end it all, and intended not to wake up. By the grace of God, he had a different plan. The next morning at 7.32 a.m., I woke up sweating, scared, and crying. I sat on the edge of my bed and cried out, God, help me. And through the acceptance of Christ as my Savior, some profound things have happened to me. One of those things has been my ability to forgive. The forgiveness I have has been able to extend to uh, others, and I've been reunited with my father, reunited with my mother and sister and brothers, and today I have peace and joy in my heart. Daniel said, being introduced to Fusion, Black Rock's high school ministry in October, was for me a life-changing experience. Before that, I was separated from God. But now I can worship and praise the Almighty Father for everything He has done. He has forgiven me, and by His grace, I have welcomed Jesus into my life. If it wasn't for BlackRock, I wouldn't be here today. I saw God's light shine through my peers at Fusion, and now it is my task to do the same for others. And Sadie said, Ever since I can remember, I've always known about Jesus, but I never felt that I had a true relationship with God. But the first night I went to BlackRock's high school group Fusion, being surrounded by Christ followers my age really opened up my eyes. Their love for Christ and desire to live a life for Him has now inspired and encouraged me to live for God. And there are 50 more stories just like these. Now, let me just tell you what you can't see uh, during a baptism. Uh, you're a little too far away uh, from the action to see something. Uh, but I get to see it up close. Uh, what I get to see is that as these stories are read, I see tears coming down the faces of those, these precious people who are being baptized. Sometimes I see tears of regret for wasted years without following Christ. But above all, you know what I see? I see tears of joy. I see tears of freedom. 
I see the tears of gratitude to Jesus and gratitude to the church that Jesus used to draw them to himself and saved their souls for eternity. And as we fulfill our core purpose as a church, as you fulfill your core purpose as a follower of Jesus, we will see this every day. Can you imagine what it would be like if all of us really adopted the core conviction that it's all about souls? As we fulfill our core purpose as a church, we want to be part of more and more and more changed lives and hear more and more stories like this. I don't know what you have devoted your life to, but there is nothing more important that you can invest in than your role as a follower of Jesus Christ in this church. It's all about souls. The most important thing God has going in this world is his church. Because the most important thing is souls. What is your core conviction? It's my core conviction that one day God will hold us responsible for how well we did as a church, how well we did as individual Christ followers in fulfilling the mission he gave us to reach our world starting with our neighbors in reaching souls. God will evaluate us to the degree to which we shared his passion for souls. And here at Black Rock, we want to make room for more and more of our neighbors and hear more and more stories of how God is uh, bringing people to himself, to eternity with him. And because this is why we exist as a church. This is our core conviction. We really believe that it's all about souls.